It's a joy to be together this morning. Thanks for responding to God's call to be here because it really is a wonderful privilege for us to have this opportunity to, with other people, consider how God might be calling us, how God might be equipping us, how God might be speaking to us. Sometimes we're in a world where people talk about the individuality that we have. It's just me and God. It's just me and the Spirit. And that's an important relationship to have, but it's so much easier to hear God's voice when we have the voices of others speaking in to what we are understanding, what we know, and what we hear. It's more vulnerable, it's more scary to do it that way with other people than just alone but it is so much more powerful. So thank you for being here and for putting yourself in God's way and for putting yourself in ours way. Let's turn to our scripture passage for today. It comes out of Matthew 17 verses one through nine. It's often referred to simply as the transfiguration. So if you've been around the church for a while, chances are you have probably heard this scripture here or there. Uh, This scripture is really closely tied to the passage that comes immediately before it. We're not going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about it in just a few minutes. But if this seems like a random passage to you, if this seems like a piece of scripture that is just smacking you out of the blue, you are not alone. It is a random story, and it really is perhaps intended to be that way. So, Join me uh, either by listening or with your Bibles or on the back of your fridge flyer. And uh, let's, let's listen for the word of the Lord. Bless you. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright, light, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Friends, Please join me and let's pray. God, as we come into the magnificence of your presence and as we examine your scriptures to know more of your heart, to understand more of your presence and your character, we pray that you will give us wisdom. We pray that you will give us discernment. We pray that you will give us some understanding. We pray that you will infuse in us the ability to speak well, to hear well, to respond well, not just as individuals, but as a body of faith, called together, if even in just this one moment, to be your hands and your feet and your heart in this world today. 
If the truth be in us, Lord, then keep us there. And if the truth is not in us, Lord, then put us there. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted? Maybe it was something that you asked for outright, like something on a list for Christmas or your birthday or something. Or maybe it was something that you longed for in your heart, but you never had the courage to say out loud, like a new friendship or relationship or maybe a bucket list type dream. Either way, I want you to think about it with me. Have you ever experienced exactly what you were hoping for? One of the times that I got exactly what I was hoping for is when I found out that we were expecting our first child, our daughter Marlo. I remember the range of feelings that we went through in those early days. Surprise, for sure, and a little bit of concern because we weren't exactly certain that we wouldn't raise a sociopath. But overwhelmingly, we felt joy and elation and privilege and a feeling of self-satisfaction because this thing that we had hoped for had become a reality and because we felt lucky to be getting exactly what we wanted. In our scripture for today, I really believe that Peter gets exactly what he wants. We know this from this chapter that comes right before what we read this morning, right before our passage for today. Jesus is traveling with Peter and his disciples, and Jesus asks all of his friends, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to them, yes, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he doesn't delay for a second. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Peter was right. And Peter was praised for being the first one to jump in there and get that answer correct. You know, I've thought about that over the years. And I think that Peter was the first disciple to get that answer right because I believe that no one wanted Jesus to be the Messiah more than Peter did. A Messiah was exactly what Peter had signed up for. A Messiah who would save them from oppression, a Messiah who would lead them into victory, a Messiah who would triumph over the injustices that they experience each and every day as second-class citizens living in Rome, and who would physically set Peter and the disciples on actual political ruling thrones. Peter was so invested in Jesus as the Messiah that he sliced a man's ear off before he was willing to hand Jesus over to the Romans. My friends, I genuinely don't believe that anyone wanted Jesus to be the Messiah more than Peter did. And Peter got exactly what he wanted. The interesting thing about getting exactly what you want is that you soon find out 
that what you wanted is often more than you ever could have imagined. Am I right? For instance, when Andy and I got exactly what we wanted in the healthy birth of our daughter, we had a pretty good idea of what to expect. Midnight feedings and diaper changes, car seats and jogging strollers, baby cries and baby giggles. But oh my gosh, friends, we got so much more than we could have ever imagined. Like, for instance, we never imagined how much laundry an eight-pound infant could generate. (laughs) And we never imagined how devastating it would be to our mental and emotional states to wake up every three hours for weeks on end. I was a new stay-at-home parent then. I never imagined how tired my arms would be or how much I would come to loathe parks. And I I never thought that I could imagine the experience of losing all of my freedom to feeding schedules and napping schedules and bedtime routines. Getting exactly what I wanted turned out to be so much more than I ever could have imagined or ever wanted to imagine which I think turned out to be true for Peter, too. Right after Jesus praised Peter for being right, Jesus told them about what his being the Messiah meant. It meant going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and to resurrect again. And what Jesus said about what his being the Messiah looked like was way more than Peter could have ever imagined. In fact, Peter refused to imagine it. Peter took Jesus aside to shush him, to tell him he shouldn't even say stuff like that, to which Jesus replied by calling Peter Satan and not in a cute way. In the span of just a few paragraphs, Peter went from being praised for his most most faithful insight and dedication as a disciple to being rebuked as a stumbling block to Jesus. Because Jesus being the Messiah was so much more than Peter could have ever imagined and so much more than Peter ever wanted to imagine. Because what Peter found when Jesus was explaining what it looked like for him to be the Messiah, what Peter found was that Jesus being the Messiah means that suffering and glory are not at odds, but that, in the words of one commentator, Jesus being this Messiah meant that glory and the cross were mixed. When Peter imagined getting exactly what he wanted in Jesus as the Messiah, he imagined the crown without the cross. But there was so much more in store for him than he could have ever imagined. And just as Peter could not imagine the suffering that would come with the glory, just as though he could not imagine that the cross would actually come before the crown, so Peter could not imagine the full experience of that glory alone either. And that's really where our passage picks up today. It was six days after that fateful conversation with the disciples where Peter goes from the hero disciple to Satan incarnate. And Jesus takes Peter and James and his brother John up to the mountain, just the four of them. And once they were up at the top, 
Jesus' face starts to shine like the sun, and then his clothes become a dazzling white. And suddenly he's caught up in the conversation with fathers and heroes of the Jewish faith, and the disciples are thinking, this isn't the camping trip we thought we had signed up for. But Peter, Peter sees exactly what is happening because Peter is getting exactly what he wanted. He is getting all of the glory and all of the honor without any of the suffering. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, this is the best, don't you think? Don't you want me to build some dwellings here so that we can stay in this glory forever with Moses and with Elijah? Oh my gosh, the guys are never going to believe this. And while he's still talking, still radiating and having just what he wanted just for a minute, a bright cloud overwhelms all of them and they hear a voice telling them exactly what he wanted to hear. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him and bam, just like that, the disciples are on the ground. Peter is on the ground. Sprawled out, flat, an involuntary reaction to the fear that had clobbered him. Peter was getting exactly what he wanted, all of that unmixed up glory, just glory in its purest form. And still, still, it was more than he ever could have imagined. It was more than he ever wanted to imagine. I don't know about you, but I can really sympathize with Peter in this one. Because all too often, I come to God in prayer, asking for the benefits of the crown, with, and then feeling resentful when I'm feeling the effects of the cross. All too often, I come to God asking to get exactly what I want, as though I fully understand what it is that I'm asking for. I come to God asking exactly what I want without any self-awareness that if I were to really experience exactly what I wanted as I wanted it, the crown without the cross, then I would still end up on the ground, still cowering in my fearful overwhelm at the reality of God's infinite glory. All too often, I approach God with the eager and urgent request to experience in that unencumbered glory of God's presence only to then find myself ducking and dodging when the presence of God really does show up just like Peter and just like the disciples on that mountaintop there's this sort of joke that is often understood among pastors and among like long-term Christians who've been around the church for a while it's a look that we exchange with one another when we hear that someone has been praying for humility or worse, praying for patience. Because no one who prays fervently for patience doesn't find themselves ducking and dodging when those opportunities to exhibit patience show up. Because what happens, my friends, when what are the things that bring patience? persistent car trouble, for instance, or maybe stubborn teenagers, or maybe lazy co-workers, 
or no doubt some sort of extended wait for something important like a test result or an answer to an important question. Because my friends, when people pray for patience or for humility or for peace or for anything, they often get exactly what they want. And the effect often flattens them, often flattens me right out onto the ground. There is good news. The good news to me is in how this scene of the transfiguration ends. Peter, he's still face down in fear, having witnessed exactly what he wanted. Peter then feels someone touch him. And all of that glory and all of that majesty and all of that overwhelm that drove him to the floor in the first place is still right there, right in front of him but it looks different. Jesus is the only one standing there, looking at him, maybe concerned, maybe compassionate, maybe chagrined, that's the Jesus I remember, urging him, get up, don't be afraid. And when they all looked up, the scripture says that this way, they see no one except Jesus himself alone. And what strikes me in that moment is that all that Peter had ever wanted, all of the glory that he had ever wanted to experience was still standing right there, right in front of him. He still had it. The person of Jesus contains it all. The bright light, the gleaming whites, the pervasive voice, the disorientating change in atmosphere. Peter was still in the presence of all of it because he was in the presence of Jesus which he knew because he wanted nothing more than for Jesus to be the Messiah. And he was. And it was more than Peter could have ever imagined. Sometimes, my friends, I think that we can be just like that. We want nothing more than for the power and the glory of Jesus to flow through our world or to flow through our lives, to flow through our beings, to bring us hope and joy and peace. Those are the things that we want so badly that we find it hard to imagine that Jesus would be, could be, is more than we could ever imagine. We so badly want the glory and so easily forget that he is also the suffering. We remember that he is the crown, but we can forget that he is also the cross. As a result, our anticipation of Jesus in our lives is often not laden with too much expectation of Jesus, but with too little. C.S. Lewis has a great quote saying, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, with with infinite joy offered to us, like the ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant for us. By the offer of a holiday at the sea, he ends by saying, We are far too easily pleased. I sometimes have prayed 
for that disembodied voice of God to break into my life and give me the answer. Haven't you? Just tell me what to do. Direct us this way. Provide us this revelation. And oh, my friends, sometimes I feel so silly when I realize that revelation has always been here in the person of Jesus Christ. If we could just remember what it's like to get exactly what we want, if we could only remember what it's like and not fool ourselves into thinking that somehow we can have the glory without the suffering or that we could have the crown without the cross and not be absolutely flattened by it. The glory of God is offered to us. Whatever we ask for is offered to us. We can get exactly what we want when we approach Jesus in prayer, when we approach this life of faith with vulnerability. But it would do us well to not forget that getting exactly what we want is always much, much more than we imagined. We used to, uh, we used to take some time at the end of our sermon uh, to think about a question, to reflect, to sit in silence. And so we're going to do that again today. And I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer, in reflection, in the quiet of your soul, and to consider how maybe you and me have dodged getting exactly what we wanted from Jesus. And how can we maybe embrace that Jesus is more than we ever imagined, even if it's not in the ways we imagined. Please join me as we reflect and pray.